0: So we're going to carry on, 1 John. So last week, we uh, we looked at 1 uh, John versus, uh, it was chapter 1. And then we looked a little bit in chapter 2. This week, we're going to carry on in chapter 2. And uh, I'll, I, if you were here last week, I don't know if you caught that, but Pastor Cheryl said, you know, this book, it's, it's one of those things that if you just kind of read it and you don't have... Uh, uh, let's say a, a good filter, you can kind of be up and down and all over the place because one minute you're like, yeah, I'm saved, the next minute, oh, no, stink, I'm not. I'm in Jesus. No, I'm not. I'm a liar. I'm light. And you just don't know where you are. So um, I don't know if you've been reading along throughout the week, but if you haven't, I would strongly encourage you to do that. Just uh, spend the summer and just really get involved uh, with First John. It's a great book. It's got a lot of good stuff to say. But it's a messy book. Like I said, it's written to a messy community. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's really confusing, to be honest with you. I'm not afraid to say some things in the Bible I find to be a little bit confusing. Like today, we're gonna look at a verse that says, hey, if you, if you love, you abide in the light, but if you hate your brother, you're in darkness. And you're like, "Well, uh-oh, what, what if I don't love properly? What if I don't love good enough? So I mean, there's all this kind of things that we have to navigate. Tricky book, but thankfully John helps us out and he gives us a little bit of context. So uh, we saw this when Pastor Carl preached the first sermon. He says, you know what, John tells you in the first four verses, he tells you what he's trying to do. He says, hey look, I'm writing to you because I want you to be clear about this. I want you to know that this Jesus who we're talking about, who we're celebrating, who we're worshiping today, who we're saying you've got a great glorious name, that Jesus, he's God. Jesus is God. He's saying that God became a man and walked among us. He became a man, he took on flesh, he became a human being, and we touched him, we handled him, we heard him, we saw him. Like we discovered last week, they probably smelled him too, but they had really human experiences with this God-man. God became a man and walked amongst us. And he's saying, you know what, I'm writing this to you because I want you to have the same fellowship with him that we had, which is actually a remarkable statement when you think about it. They had breakfast with Jesus. They interacted with him and engaged him and got to do all this cool stuff. And then you think about the kind of fellowship that the disciples had with each other. You know, they get up every morning and probably like, oh, I wonder what Jesus is going to do today. And they just got this kind of, you know, excitement and camaraderie together where they're just like, hey, this is great. Life's so good. I've got good people. I've got God walking beside me. I just had a snack. I went to Tim Hortons with Jesus. That's crazy. So he's saying, I want you to have this kind of fellowship. And you can. I'm telling you, you can. And honestly, this book, he's, he writes it straight up. He says that it's to complete your joy. So if you read the book and you're like, oh my goodness, I've, I got a little bit of a complex. I don't know what's going on. Am I in, am I out, am I up, am I down? Be happy. It's a happy book. It's really meant to bring you joy. So we also looked at how this book, it's written to different, different people, different groups of people. And we talked about how you, that's not a weird idea. I mean, there's people here that I, I can kind of see right now who are, are, are newer. There's people who are older and been, been here for a long time. There's people who've been Christians for a long time, people who haven't. And that's the kind of church that he's writing to. But he's also writing to a church that's experienced some sort of uh, split, a split, a rift in the community. So imagine, just look around right now. Don't, don't like point fingers and start creating crazy stories in your head. But just imagine some of the familiar faces that you see right now. One day just kind of pop up and say, you know what, I don't believe in that Jesus stuff anymore. You know, people that you've worshipped with, people that you've, you've done group with, you went to rib fest with. Imagine if they just stood up and said all of a sudden, ah, that Jesus, he's not real. Your sin doesn't matter. Go do whatever you want. Ah, no big deal. Jesus died on the cross or eh, whatever. And then they go and they start their own movement. Like that would traumatize you, right? Potentially. I mean, if you cared about the people that you're sitting around and all of a sudden some brother or sister beside you is running around doing that, that's going to cause you a little bit of grief. So there's this kind of thing going on in that community, and those are actually, like I wasn't just throwing out those ideas, those are actually some of the ideas that, this, that these people are teaching. And that's really important to know, because when you read the book, you have to know that, you know, sometimes he's writing and he's saying things specifically to those people. So if you read, it's like Pastor Carl said, the book, it's written uh, not to you, but it is written for you. See, there's some things written in that book that are written to those people who are doing the crazy things, who are making the crazy teachings, who are telling people, don't don't worry about Jesus. He's not God. So if you, as a a Christian, read that and think that some of that stuff applies to you, you're going to get messed up. So it's helpful, right? It's helpful to know some of these things. It's helpful to know who he's writing to and what that's all about. So he's writing to this community uh, for these reasons. He's writing to this group with all this stuff going on, and, he, and he's saying this. I want to recap the message for you. So this is First John 1, 5 to 10, and he, basically this is Zach's paraphrase. God is light, and Jesus is that light. Now, you're either in Jesus and in the light, or you're out of Jesus and you're in the darkness. You can't deny the reality of Jesus, nor your need for him, and still have fellowship with God. But if you don't, I mean, if if you're outside of the light, if you're not in the light, it's actually not hard to get in Christ. It's as simple as this. Just confess your sins. Just say the same thing about your sin that God does. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. And once you're in the light, in Jesus, you have fellowship with God. You do. You have fellowship, and it's safe and it's secure based on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. It's not based on your performance at all you have cleansing, your sins are forgiven. And we looked at that word forgiven that says actually what it actually really means, ephemi, the Greek word is to send away. So if you're in Christ, if you're in the light, sin's power has been broken off of your life and sin has been sent away. It's gone and, and you have all that. It's all a big package deal just by being in the light, just by being in Christ. It's pretty good. It's It's really, actually really, really good news. So then we looked at how John goes on, Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 6, and he he starts with this. He says, my dear children, so now he's talking to the people who embrace Jesus, who are in the light, and he says, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin, and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and we looked at how you could read that to say, I've spelt out the gospel for you, I just wrote you the message, now, hey, don't mess up or else. I'm warning you. You know, there's that verse that sometimes people take out of context in Hebrews that says if you willfully sin after you've received the knowledge of the truth, there's nothing left for you except for a a fiery expectation of judgment and fire and all that kind of stuff. Well, you can proof text that verse and you can kind of throw it in here and you can say, "Uh uh-oh, I'm warning you. I told you the gospel. If you go sin now, you're in big trouble. That's one way to read it. But we, we looked at the, that's actually a little bit contrary, I think, to the, to the heart of the gospel that, that John preaches, that, that Paul, that James, that all these guys talk about. So I think we saw that you can actually read it like this. He's writing to you so that you won't sin because the message, the message that you're in Christ, you're in the light, your sins have been forgiven, the power of sin has been sent away and pushed off of you forever, that you have one-time cleansing, that you're in Jesus, that message is powerful enough to help you to not sin. That message has the power inherent in it to keep you from a life of sin. So he's saying, I'm writing to this this to you so that you don't sin, because the message that he's writing has the power to actually keep you from sinning. It actually has the power to see you born again and made something new. So that's where we're going to pick up uh, this week, because I think he carries on in the same theme. So we're looking at 1 John 2, and today we're going to look at verses 7 to 17. And I just wanted to tell you, before we look at it, before we read it, when I read these verses, I read that John's writing to a group of people. He's writing and he said, I've got a really powerful message for you. It's able to keep you from sin. And now he's writing to describe what that looks like. So when I read these verses, I read that John's writing to a group of people who he thinks are are sanctified, victorious, overcoming people who are perfectly capable and confident at loving other people. He's talking to people who are in Christ, people who are in the light already, and it's really, really important that we have that filter. So we're going to read these verses. If you've got your Bible, I'd say open it up. If you got your phone, flick it open, whatever, but there's 11 verses here, so just uh, let's look at this. It's good to read scripture. It really is. It's good to hear it. It's good to read it. So first John chapter 2, verse 7, brother, and he says, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you've heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment, which you heard, uh, which I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, already you can start to be like, what? You know, I'm, I'm not writing you a new one, but I'm writing you an old one, but it's new, and he's just like, what are you saying? Verse nine, he said, "He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name. I write to you fathers because you've known him who's from the beginning. I write to you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father, and I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who's from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you're strong, the word of God abides in you, you've overcome the wicked one. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world." The world is passing away, and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. So I don't know what you see in there, but I see a bunch of stuff that, you know, I, I, I'm seeing the Lord speaking to me and saying, hey, you're, you're a sanctified overcomer, capable of love. You've overcome the world, and you abide forever. That's what I see when I read that, but you'd be forgiven. If you looked at it and you said, wow, I don't know what you're talking about, like an old commandment, a new commandment. Uh, if I hate my brother, I'm in darkness. If I love my brother, I'm in the light. Well, how much love do I need to do? How loving do I have to be? What happens if I treat somebody a little less than loving? You know, that, then what? Does that mean I'm out of the light? The world's passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever? Well, what, what if I don't do the will of God? What, what are you talking about? What if God wants me to have, I don't know, craft dinner and I have beans on toast? What if God wanted me to witness to that person at Tim Hortons and leave one of those friendly act of kindness cards and I didn't? Man, I knew I should have done it. I'm in the dark. Really? See, you can get kind of messed up. What is the will of God? What is he talking about? It's okay. You can answer. (laughs) They might have the answer. I think we do. I think John does too. So, what I wanted to share with you today, anyways, is before we go any farther and before we look at at more of these verses that, you know, albeit can be a little bit confusing, and uh, I I just really, really, really want to make the point really clear that when you read the scriptures, you need to have a certain filter. That filter has to be the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be the finished work of the cross, and it has to be seeing yourself in him. So I thought for a minute I'd just share with you my process. How do I read this and how do I see God telling me that I'm a sanctified overcomer, capable of love? How do I see in in that mess that I'm a loving person? How do I see that God has empowered me to live a life of love just like God does? So here's the thing, here's some things about reading the Bible, which is actually really good. I love that we're doing a a Bible uh, series. We're looking at a book of the Bible because like I said last week, it's really good. It's good line upon line, precept upon precept. It's good to do that because it adds strength to your life, you know, it, it opens your eyes to, to things in a way that, you know, just kind of randomly looking at things here and there can't do. But also it helps you to, to really re-engage and rethink your, your, your engagement with the Scriptures and how you read them. So James is really helpful here. Look at this, First uh, James chapter 1, verse 23 to 25, he says this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all that he does. Now listen to this. When you look into the word, when you hear the word, when you study First John, hopefully throughout the week, and when we do this on Sundays, when you're hearing the word of God, he says it's like looking in a mirror. Now, what do you see when you look in the mirror? You. You see yourself, right? So you're looking in the mirror, seeing yourself. You're reading the word. You're hearing the word. It's like a mirror. You should be seeing yourself. Now, get this. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you know what? You guys love your Bibles. This is kind of Zach's paraphrase, but you can look it up. It's, there, there's a real version. He says, you guys love your Bibles. And you search them, you search the scriptures, because you think that in them is life. But those scriptures, what they actually really do is they point you to me. They testify of me. But he says, you're not willing to come to me and have life. But Jesus is saying, those scriptures are all about me. So here you go. We've got Jesus saying, the Bible testifies of me, and James saying it's a mirror. How do I read the scriptures? When I read the scriptures, what I need to do is I need to see myself in Christ. When you read the Bible, that's the filter you need to have, you in Jesus. That's what John does. So uh, 1 John 4, verse 17, he says, as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, which that's interesting in itself, as Jesus is right now. As Jesus is, Jesus at the right hand of the Father right now. That's how you are. Now, that sounds too good to be true. You're like, I identify more with the Jesus of Nazareth. Well, Jesus of Nazareth is resurrected, and he's at the right hand of the Father, and as he is, so are you now in this world. It's a good word. So what James isn't saying, he's not saying, hey, when you don't do the word or when you do something the Bible tells you not to do, he's not saying you're a bad person who you are, your fundamental nature hasn't changed. What he's saying, no, is you've forgotten who you really are. You forgot what you look like. So you're reading the word and you're seeing yourself in Jesus. And then you go away and you act and, and you do something that the word says not to do. The problem isn't that you're a bad person at your core. No, Jesus has changed you. He's made you something different. He's, he's made you one with him. The problem is you do those things because you forgot what you looked like in Christ. And identity is actually a really big thing so what does Paul say? Paul says this too in Second Corinthians 3 verse 18. He says, but we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When you look at the glory of God, it's like looking in a mirror. That That's kind of out there. I understand that. That's weird. But when you read the word, it's like looking in a mirror. According to Paul in 2 Corinthians, when you see the glory of the Lord, it's like looking in a mirror, beholding his glory as in a mirror. Now, that transformation that you experience, it's not a progressive kind of transformation from like one degree of glory to the next, as if somehow this would wreck our house if we had this kind of competition. But if Jen was at like level 10 glory and I was at level three glory, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's saying there's a different kind of glory. There's a glory of God that meets every need and that accommodates you in every single situation you find yourself in life. So the glory of God that I'm in right now doing this, there's another glory of God that I need expressed and manifested in my life life later when maybe I'm doing the dishes or winning soccer baseball or something like that, right? Shout out to young adults, I'm gonna win. You got to see yourself in the Word, you got to see yourself in Christ, and you got to see yourself in the glory of God. Now that, that's a crazy thought, I know, but, but just think about this for a second. You know, there's—history there's, is littered with, with revivals and encounters with God. Maybe our personal lives, we've got—you um, know, you can remember a certain date or a certain time in your life where you feel like, you know, I just really encountered God this way. And then you look back and you're like, oh, well, what happened? Or you look back at history and you see, like, you know, there was a massive revival somewhere, and then two years later, it all, it all went back to normal. Everything's just back to normal. And you can end up in this kind of situation where you're kind of hopping from one experience to the next— We're praying for one glory encounter to the next glory encounter. The reality is, and where transformation happens is not when you just experience God's glory and you 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 get something like goosebumps or you fall over. Transformation happens when you actually see yourself in it. Jesus said, he said, the glory that you've given me, I've given them. You need to see yourself in it. I'm telling you, this is the thing that that results in lasting transformation. Personally, and for people groups, it's seeing yourself. It's getting that revelation. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. The hope of glory resides in me. Christ in you. The mystery kept hidden. Hidden again for some reason, but we can embrace it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So keep that in mind. We're going, to read, we're going to go through, step by step, we're going to go through these verses as we read them. Don't don't develop a conflict. Don't start thinking, am I in, am I out, am I in light, am I in darkness? No. See yourself firmly planted in Christ Jesus. When you read these, whatever you're reading, you need to read it in a way that, that edifies you, brings you joy, and makes you see that you're in Christ already. You're not trying to do stuff to get in light. You're reading from a position of light. That really is the only way, according to James, according to Paul. To read the scriptures. And Jesus ultimately says, hey, they're all about me anyways. So if you're reading the scriptures and you're, you're, you're getting kind of twisted internally and turning inward and, and wondering whether you're, you know, loving enough, uh, lift your eyes to Jesus. That's what it's all about. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 to 8. He says, brethren, I write no new commandment to you but an old commandment which you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now that's confusing. Like I said, new commandment, old commandment, what are you talking about? really. But he says, the old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Now, what word did he hear from the beginning? What word initiated their relationship with Jesus? What brought them into the family of God? It's the message that he shared in verse 5 of the previous chapter. Now, this is the message that we heard. And declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The new commandment is a message just like the old commandment was. The old commandment is a, is a word. It's a declaration over you, saying that God is light and you're in the light. If you're in the light, then you've got cleansing from sin. If you're in the light, then the power of sin's broken off of your life. The commandment is a message, and the new commandment is also a message. And the message is 1 John 2, verse 9 to 11. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, we already discovered walking in the light is nothing more than walking in Christ, and walking in darkness is nothing more than being outside of Christ. When you're in the light, in Christ, this verse is telling you, you do love your brother. All that that I just said, all that preamble, all the confusing Bible language, it's all to get to this point. If you're in Christ, you do love your brother, you do. You might not know it. You might not feel it, but you do have power at work inside of you to love your brother. He's describing you, and he's saying when you abide in love, when you love, you abide in the light, because when you're living a life of love, you're living a life that's actually natural to who you are. It really is. So, you know, if, you, if you've got a little bit of angst and a little bit of confusion, you know, sometimes Christians can be really, uh, really tied up in knots and really depressed. And there can be this, this kind of uh, emotional baggage that goes on where there's kind of a disconnect between what you believe should be possible in your life, yet what you're seeing. But I'm telling you, if you reorientate your heart and your life to love, you're living out of your nature. And some of that confusion, some of that depression dissipates. There's congruency between who you are and what you're doing and what you're thinking when you're living in love. So walking in the light, you've got to understand this, it's walking in Jesus. And when you walk in Jesus, when you are in him, you will love. Something fundamental has changed and transformed inside of you. You've become able to love. So Jesus, he gave his disciples a new commandment. And I think this is something that John probably had in his mind. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, how is this a new commandment? Just stop and think for a second actually engage for a second here. Love one another as I loved you. Now, the law says to love, right? Remember somebody came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, the law says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The old covenant was all about love. The law was supposed to lead you into love. So what's the difference about this commandment? Why is it new? It supplies a power. It's the as. As I loved you. Love one another as I loved you. See, the the real difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament between uh, the old covenant and the new covenant, between law and grace, it's, it's not, uh, you know, like love and legalism. According to Jesus, both covenants, love is at the heart of both of those. See, the real difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is actually the spirit versus the letter. It's living in your own strength to comply with a written code versus living by the power in the presence of the Holy Spirit and living out of your union with Jesus. That's actually the real difference. So John, when he's writing this here, he wants you to know that you're actually empowered to love. He wants you to know that because you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you are light. Therefore, because you're light, you are love. God is love. You do love your brother. You do. I'm telling you, you do. John's telling you, you do. You do. You do love your brother, and you can love. So now you might be thinking, if John's telling me that I love, if John's telling me the consequence of me being in Christ is that I love, and didn't Jesus say this too? Didn't he say, hey, the world's going to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another, right? So, I mean, at some point, you might look around and just be like, well, where's the love? I mean, sure. Hopefully it's not you, but you could be sitting there right now and thinking, well, I'm a Christian and I don't love so-and-so, right? Prove it, right? You're telling me I'm in the light. You're telling me in Christ. You're telling me I'm going to love, but I don't feel love for that person or that person. Maybe, and this is probably more true, you've probably got an experience where you're like, well, that Christian over there, that Christian brother hurt me. That Christian brother didn't show me love, well, how can you tell me if he's a Christian, he's going to love? He's got power to do that. What do you mean? My experience in life is that I'm not loving. My experience is that there's a deficit of love in my relationships. Uh, wh- what do I do? More to the point, when I look at myself, I, I know that sometimes I fail and I come up short in love. But you're telling me that that power is available and at work in me, so, so, so what's, what gives? What really gives? Remember, this is not a test it's not God, it's not John writing to tell you that you're being tested, therefore test yourself. There actually is a test, it's in Corinthians, where he says test yourselves, but he says this: test yourself to see if you're in the faith, not to see how good your works are, and to see if Christ Jesus lives in you. And he does, if you've asked him to, he does. So he's not writing to test you, to test and, and to get you to measure how well you're loving, and all that kind of stuff. So the big question is then, if I'm in Christ and Christ empowers me to love, If I've got Christian brothers and sisters who are hurting me, which is a real thing, sometimes that happens. Where's the love? What gives, what do I do? Well, first of all, when you're looking at your experience, your subjective experience, your experiences in relationships, if I can, if I can offer this. Let the scriptures be the, the arbiter of truth when it comes to uh, your own subjective life experiences, okay? Let the Bible define you. Let God's word define you. Let God's word set the standard for what you re- your, who you are and what your relationship should look like. So, so let's look at a couple of those scripture verses that can really help to define who you are. The first one is First John 4, verses 8. God is love. Full stop, period. Mic drop if it wasn't so expensive. <laughs> God is love. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. but he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now That's ridiculous. You, you are literally a new creation. That, that word for new creation means you're something that never existed before. And, and you're, you're a type of being that, doesn't, that never existed before. It's not that, you know, God took Zach and just polished him up and made him new. No, he made Zach something. Uh, I'm part of a creation that never existed. I am in my spirit, Zach's spirit mingled with God's spirit. And that doesn't make me God, but that makes me one with God. He's elevated us as human beings into such a privileged point where our spirits are one with Almighty God. Now, that's ridiculous. Jesus said some weird stuff like, you're all gods. I don't know what you do with that. It's in the scriptures. But you are one with the spirit of almighty God. Now, that that's that, that's such a ridiculously awesome truth that the actually creation itself, the whole world is still waiting for us to catch up to understand what that is. But when we do, we're going to understand that we are the sons and the daughters of God. And we're going to manifest something absolutely ridiculous when our heads catch up to the reality in our hearts. See, sometimes people say, you know what? It's in my, it's in my head, but it's not in my heart. No wrong. It's in your heart. Your head needs to catch up because God's given you a new heart and he's given you a new spirit that's been joined together with him. You are one with Almighty God who happens to be love so your spirit is mingled together with love you can't separate yourself from love you really can't that spirit the fruit of that spirit is love it's joy it's peace it's all that stuff but it's love you're one with a spirit whose very nature and essence is love and if that's not enough for you second Timothy 1 7 he describes the new spirit that you've been given He says, you know, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound-mindedness. You have a sound mind. You have a mind that's that's self-disciplined. I'm exercising it right now to not laugh at what's going on over here. (laughs) You love. You can love. You're empowered to love because your spirit is one with the loving almighty God. That's just the way that it is. See, John says you can love because you're in the light, because you're in Christ, and Christ in you is love. He's not giving you a test, but making a statement of fact about you. Now, maybe if I was writing, I might have wrote it a little bit different. I might have switched the order of the words, but that's the Greek, and that's John. Remember in Acts when uh, the, the, the apostles were, were getting in trouble for preaching about Jesus, and, and the, the religious leaders said, hey, these uneducated, unlearned men, but they recognized they'd been with Jesus? Well, John's one of those uneducated, unlearned men. So he does write a little bit funny, and that could be it. And that's not a knock against him. That's just, hey, God chooses the the, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So he's used some great fishermen to absolutely turn the world upside down. So there's hope for all of us, but it makes reading the Bible a little tricky sometimes. So there's the scriptures, the scriptures. That, that's I mean, if you if you respect the word of God, that should settle it for you out of the scriptures. You're one with Him. You can love. You do love. Who you are at your heart is love. When you're loving, you're living out of your nature. That's. Have you ever just felt really good around somebody that you know you're unconditionally loved by? See, because you're made in the image of God, there's something alive. There's something about you that comes alive in the presence of love. And there's something about you that can't really be activated. You know, who you are, you can't, you can't really flourish in life until you know that you're loved. That's why it's so important to know the love of God. Love is so, so, so super important. And it's at the core of who you are. And the scriptures can settle it for you. But we're also people. We have experiences. A lot of us, it's really, really easy to look into that mirror that is the Word, walk away and forget what kind of people we are because our experience constantly yells at us something else, right? So, so what, what if you say, well, that's not my experience. The scripture says I'm loving, but I don't love. The scripture says that Christians are capable of love. How come I get hurt by Christians? What's going on? Surely, they can't be Christians. Like, like you can get really sinister about this. Like, you can question yourself and be like, oh my goodness, I didn't love properly. Maybe I'm not in the light today. Jesus, forgive me. Bring me back. Save me again. Or you can get really sinister and be like, I knew that person wasn't really a Christian. Those people over there. You can get really nasty because, you know, sometimes people are nasty. Sometimes Christians are nasty. I'm pretty certain I've been nasty at points while I've been a Christian. You know, sometimes, sometimes you have a bad day. Right? Yeah? Just me? (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So here's the thing. Just engage this little thought experiment with me for a minute. I want to try and describe what's going on here. Right now, I want you to imagine that you're in a room and the lights are on. Shouldn't be hard, you're in a room with the lights on. (laughs) We're starting easy. We're going to work ourselves up here. Imagine that you're in a room and the lights are off. Just imagine. Lights are off. When the the lights are off here in darkness, when the lights are on and you're in that room, you're in the light. Right now, you're in the light. Yeah? Fair enough? You with me so far? Haven't lost anybody? Anybody? Okay, now, if you, just indulge me for like two minutes. If you're a nervous kind of person, grab your purse or pick up your phone or something like that. But I want you just to close your eyes for a second. Everybody, just close your eyes. Now, you're sitting in a room, the lights are on. And I want to tell you right now, we're just playing a little game here. This isn't true, so don't actually go looking for this afterwards. But I want you to imagine that there's somebody in this room right now or in this building the lights are on in the whole building, you're in the light, somebody is standing with their hand up, and they desperately need, say, the $5 that's in your pocket. The loving thing you could do right now is to take that person, the $5 bill that's in your pocket, and go give it to them so, so they can do something that they need to do with it, okay? So imagine that's your act of love. Now you're in a room full of the light. Keep your eyes closed just for a couple more minutes. I want you to imagine what that would be like for you right now if you were to get up and trying to find that person to give them the $5 bill to love them by sticking that $5 bill in their hands even though they've got their hands up but your eyes are closed. Now that would be pretty darn tricky, right? Just imagine you're you're starting to stand up and you're, you got your hands out in front of you because you're trying to figure out where you're going. And maybe you poke the person beside you. Maybe you punch them in the head. Maybe you poke them in the eye. That's not loving. That's ugly. Don't do that. Maybe you bump into somebody. You trip them. Maybe you, you, you run into a chair like I did a couple weeks ago and you just cream yourself and fall all over the floor. Maybe you walk up on the steps and you hurt yourself. I don't know. All sorts of dangerous things that can happen. Now, In that scenario, in order to successfully love somebody, in order to successfully take that $5 bill and put it in somebody's hand, what do you need? Do you need the lights to turn on, or do you need to open your eyes? You need to open your eyes, right? You just need to open your eyes. The lights are already on, so feel free open your eyes. That's where somebody goes around and takes your $5 bill. It's kind of like that. Now imagine again, same scenario, but you're blindfolded. Imagine there's a blindfold on your, on, over your eyes and you're in a light room. Now what do you need to do? Do you need the lights to come on or do you need to take the blindfold off? Same thing. When you're in Christ and you're in the light, you're in the light. The lights are on. Sometimes what you need is somebody to come alongside you and say, hey, you're in the light. You're empowered to love. You can do this. You got this. This is who you are in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. The power of sin is broken off. You don't need to grope around trying to turn the lights on. They're already on. You just need to see it. You need to get the blindfold off somehow. So open your eyes. Take the blindfold off. You're in the light. You really are. So when your experience says something otherwise, remember, you're in the light. Open your eyes. Really, I could substitute open your eyes for let be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We could, tra- we could substitute that for 2 Corinthians 3.18, where he says, with unveiled faces we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. See, what Jesus has done for us, it, it doesn't really affect us until we, until we believe it. And, and I mean believe it, and let it really impact what you think. And that's what Paul says. You know, the, the, the transformation of your mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not, it's not mind over matter. It's not the, the power of positive thinking, although if you think negative, you should think positive. No, there's, there's a power that you connect with, that something deep that God's done inside of you that you can avail yourself of. Now, a lot of religion, a lot of crazy mixed-up Christianity is, is trying to figure out how to function in life with your eyes closed. And the reality is all you need to be told is, hey, open your eyes. You're in Christ. This is what Christ did for you already. Stop fumbling around. Stop trying to do all that stuff. See. See who you are. And honestly... This is what I think uh, John's doing in this next little bit. It's a funny little bit of scripture. If you've got your Bibles and you pull, pull them out and you look at it, chapter, or verse 12, 13, 14. It's all this. I write to you, children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him as from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who's from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, that's weird. If you read your Bible, it's probably an ital- it's italicized. It, it looks funny. It could look like a poem. I think it's a prophecy. I think John's saying, hey, open your eyes. See, look, see, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You do know him who's from the beginning. In Christ, you have overcome wicked one. You do know the father. Jesus said, hey, if you see me, you've seen the father. You do know the father. You are strong. God's word does abide in you. He's prophesying to these people. He's saying, hey, open your eyes. Take the blindfolds off. Stop fumbling around here. See. See what you are in Christ. See who he is. See what he's done for you. Stop messing about with craziness. Just see. See, see, see. He's writing them to help them to see what's true of them. He's prophesying. He's prophesying. He's helping them take those off. He's helping them to see that they are sanctified overcomers who do know God. And, uh, you know, he, he's writing to different people groups, you know, fathers, uh, young men, children. Don't, don't, don't get messed up into that world where you're like, well, he's commending them. And he's saying, good job, young man, You overcame the, the evil one. As if he's trying to, you know, you overcome the evil one too. No, if you're in Christ, you have. Now, there's a, there's a walking out of that victory, but Jesus said, now the prince of the world is judged. Now is he cast out. He's beaten. He really is. And what you need to do is see that. You really need to believe it. And I think that that's what he's doing in these next verses, too, where he says, hey, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes... The pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Even that, even that, you have to to read it as though he's talking about your identity in Christ, writing to help you see that you're in him and that his love is at work in you. He's helping you to see what that love that's in you looks like. See, he says, don't love the world. Well... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So what gives, right? That word world is the word cosmos. It can mean people. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. I think that in that instance means God so loved everybody that he gave his only begotten son. Here, cosmos, it can mean something ordered, like an ordered system. So I think what John's saying in, the, in this verse is, hey, that world system, this ordered system that's all about the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, it's a system built on corruption and corrupting influences that perpetuate themselves in the system. And he's saying, hey, you're in the light. That light is love. You're empowered by God to love, but the love that you have, it's not a love for a world system built on pride and lust. It's a love for your brother. And it doesn't scandalize you. It doesn't, it doesn't trap you. See, in 1 John 2.10, where he says, he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. It can also be read, uh, there's no cause for stumbling in it. So, uh, bore you again for a second with Greek, but the, uh, the word for him, autos, it can mean he, she, it, they, them. Some people say him, others say it. Uh, if you read the Amplified Bible, for example, it'll, say, it'll make that distinction because it actually really legit, I think, should be it. And I think the Amplified Bible agrees too. But anyways... It says that there's no cause for stumbling in it, in the light. So it it should read this, it should read, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there's nothing dangerous like the snare or the trigger of a trap in the light that is Jesus. He's perfect love and perfect light. So the love that you have, the empowered uh, ability you have to love because of your union with Jesus, don't look to the world to find out what love looks like. That's a snare, that's a trap. It's built on these influences of lust and pride. No, the love of the Father its something different. It doesn't trap. It doesn't ensnare. It's actually quite the opposite. It liberates you. It sets you free. It empowers you. The love of the world will be like scandal to you. So that, that idea, it's actually like, imagine you've got one of those, a, a box, and uh, I don't know, you want to catch a mouse. So you have a stick. You open up the box. The stick props open one part of the box. You put the cheese underneath the box. You tie a string around it, and then you go hide around the corner. Mr. Mouse comes, tries to get the cheese. You pull the stick, and boom, it falls down. That stick is the scandal. That stick is the scandal on. So the love of God, it doesn't trap you. It empowers you. We read that. Love one another as I have loved you. So God's all about empowering you to love and he's all about helping you to know that when you do love, when you when you express the image of God that you are and that you have on the inside of you, you're living naturally. The image of God is best recreated in you. It's best expressed and manifested through love. You're empowered to do that love. You need to see it. You need to have your eyes open to it and then you can embrace it and do it. And if your experience is telling you something other than that, if your experience is, well, you know, I can't love. I just I have an offense. Or somebody else has really ticked me off so much, they, we just got issues. Well, just know that the power of God in you and in them is enough to help you resolve it. It really is. So when you put this all together, when you put these verses together, I think this is what John's doing. I think he's reiterating his original message. He's saying God is light, and in him is no darkness. And as a result of being in him, there is a power at work in you to walk like he did. And the new commandment, love one another as I have loved you, it's true in him and it's true in you. And it's all about loving. And God has empowered you to do this very thing. I think he's prophesying. He's telling you you're in Christ. You're in the light. You are an overcomer. You are strong. You do know him. His word does abide in you. Your sins are forgiven. And he's writing to tell you that this love that you have, it's not like the love you see in the world. It's not even like the stuff you see in the movies. It's not corrupted with lust. It's not corrupted with pride. It's something totally different. It's a love that liberates and sets free yourself when you experience it and other people when you give it. So the blindfold, is really coming off. You know, if you, if you sit under the Word, if you hear it, if you, if you can carry on your study in, in, your own, you know, in, in your own world, in your own, I don't know, in the mornings, whatever you read the Bible, once a week or whatever you do, know this. We're going to find this out later in this book too, but there's an anointing that abides with you and teaches you all things. And that anointing is actually all about love too, and it'll teach you how to love and how to abide in him who is love. So it's all good stuff, but the blindfold is coming off, and what you need to do, see yourself in Christ. You really do. You need to see that, you know, whoever you, maybe you've sinned horribly this week. Maybe you can remember something absolutely drastically awful that you've done. What you need to hear is not, hey, back up, figure it out. It's you're forgiven. So you want to act like you're forgiven. You want to act like God. You need to know that you are It's totally opposite. Sometimes you think, you know, man, if I just, if somebody just comes and gives me one of these, I'll smarten up. Or you think, man, if I just go give that person one of these, they'll smarten up. No, the reality is you need to actually speak about your identity in Christ. You need to help them to see who they are. And you need to know you're forgiven. So he's like, I don't know if I know God, but you've embraced Christ. Hang in there and work it out with them walk with him. His Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he's going to unfold himself. He's going to reveal and unveil himself to you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. You do know him who's from the beginning. So he writes to the fathers, actually. He says, I write to the fathers who know him who's from the beginning. Well, that whole thing about fathers, that's just an ability to reproduce. Fathers aren't like, you know, uh, exalted in age necessarily. You become a father when you're younger. What he's saying is you've known him who's from the beginning. Be confident of the fact that you know him. Be confident of your ability to reproduce the knowledge you have of him in other people. Go out. Tell people about him. Be confident in that. Go do it. Go tell everybody about Jesus. You've overcome the wicked one. Now, there's this aspect of spiritual warfare, but I'm telling you, if your life is like, oh, I'm just always bogged down by warfare, the devil's out to get me today, sometimes he is, and you got to push back. You really do. The same writer, John, in Revelation says, we've overcome him by the, the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, loving not our own lives, even unto death. So some spiritual warfare is real, but you're fighting for a place of victory. You really are, and you got to see that. you got to be established in that, because the moment you start trying to attain victory is the moment you're done that's the moment you're going to get all tripped up and messed up no you need to see you have overcome the wicked one in christ christ beat him already and it's from that exalted place that you get to engage you have known the father you do know the father what, what's he like well he's like jesus shout out to the conference in september all right come in september gregory boyd it's in the bulletin i think Jesus says, you know, Philip came to Jesus and said, show us the Father. And he said, hey, have I been with you for so long and you don't know me? If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father, you do know the Father. You are strong. Even you out there who feels, man, I'm so weak. I'm just going through it. One thing after the other after the other. You feel like, oh, I'm on the verge of, 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 of quitting. I just can't do it. Well, his grace is sufficient. It really is. You are strong. You are strong. Your experience might not, you might not feel like it. You might feel like you want to throw the towel in, but you are strong. Hear him say to you today, you're strong. You have the ability to deal with it. Be strong in the, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You are strong. His word does abide in you. Almighty God, the word, the word who spoke and created all things. He lives inside of you. The word by whom and for whom all things were made. He is in you. We're going to be unpacking that for a while, but he is in you. You are overcomers in Christ. You are overcomers in the light. Don't read these things as how do I get in and how do I stay in. When you're in, you're in. When you're in the light, you're in Christ. Don't measure your love, all that kind of stuff. Don't fall back into that. Know that the God who loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son, that kind of love resides in you, and you're empowered to give that to others. So do it so do it. John's pretty serious about that. Make sure you do it. Because when you do, when you, when you love, you're abiding in the light and you're actually living out of who you are and your real nature. So love, you're empowered to love. Take your blindfolds off, open your eyes and love. All right, let's stand up. All right, just because it's a a really easy thing to do, I just want to give everybody here the chance today. If there's somebody here today who's never accepted Jesus, if there's somebody here today who's like, I want in my life the power to love, to live loved, to know that I'm loved, and to have the power to love other people. If you want to know that, if you want to know that you're in the light, if you want to know that your sins are forgiven and gone and cast away, if that's you and you're like, I've never done that before, just encourage you at the count of three, just put up your hand nice and high so it can be seen, all right? Ready? One, two, three. Is anybody here who wants to do that for the first time today? All right, I missed somebody last week, but I really don't see anybody here this week. But that's good. It means we've got some inviting to do, guys. We've got some inviting to do. Everybody else, if the altar, uh, people who are ministering at the altar, if you can come forward today, just right now even. We've got people at the front who will be able to pray with you if you've got something going on in your world miracles happen at the altar people get healed bodies get healed if you need to hear something today if you need to hear god if you need a touch from the holy spirit today that opens your eyes if you say you you need that blindfold removed off of your life you want to see something different see there's a power through impartation and prayer paul prayed he said i prayed He, he he said that you could comprehend and know that you could have the power to know what is the height, width, length, breadth, depth of the love of Christ, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. So if that's you today and you want that, please feel free to come on up. But I'm just going to pray right now and then we're going to enjoy our Sunday. All right. Father God, I thank you so much. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you're for us. You're so for us in every little situation that's going on in our worlds right now. That thing and that thing that seem like they're in the way. That thing and that thing that seem like they're just causing trouble going on and on and on. You're for us. You're not against us. And you're going to make us overcomers. We are overcomers in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much. I pray that today every single person this day this week is just touched by the spirit of mighty God and made alive and awake to the fact that they're loved deeply. They're overcomers in Christ and that all things are possible to them who believe. God, I bless you. I bless these people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.